So, the big question is this. How are ambitious people like us, who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, were not born into wealth, how do we become resourceful enough? Use our creativity, our dedication, and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams. Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app, or making it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. Please like, share, and subscribe to get new episodes, videos, and other updates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. I'm your host, Manoj Agarwal, and today I will be talking with Mark Sylvester. So Mark has been working every day since he was 15. He was a chef until he was 30, and uh, then he started an animation software company that eventually won four Academy Awards for scientific and technical achievement. And he has been recognized as one of the pioneers in the computer animation industry. Uh, and then at 50, he turned his relationship with TED Conference into an opportunity to create a novel software application that connected attendees to a conference, uh, at, at, at a conference to one another. It um, shows attendees the 10 people they should meet based on a matching algorithm. And uh, in 2010, he started TEDx Santa Barbara as a community service project and have uh, helped, he has helped uh, coach 85 speakers onto the stage, capturing over 15.7 million views uh, of their talks. And in 2012, um, 2012, Mark started his first podcast to tell the stories of the amazing entrepreneurs located in the 805 region in California. So that's the area code, uh, phone number area code 805. Um, and now 200 shows later, he's the showrunner on six shows from an NGO involved in, with the UN. Uh, to high-end speaker bureaus, top talent, um, show for educators focused on uh, apprenticeship, to teaching the leading public affairs consultancies methodology, or for overcoming objections into something called a pod class. Uh, so welcome, Mark. Um, I'm so excited to have you on our podcast, and we have so much to learn from you today. Nice to be here. I'm, I think I'm tired listening to all the stuff I do. <laughs> well, uh, uh, thanks for the humility, but it's a, it's a major accomplishment. Um, now, you know, I, I've uh, uh, told the audience uh, a lot about you, but can you share something about your background and experience from your perspective so that our audience can get to know you even better? Well, you know, when I look back, I think uh, when I was 12 years old, I asked my mom for some money for something and she said, go get a job. <laughs> I was 12, yeah. you know, it's like, no, I'm not going to go get a job, but I, I went out and I didn't want to um, mow lawns or wash windows. And what I found was that I could go and help clean out neighbors' garages uh -huh. and I wouldn't charge them any money. What I would do is I would keep all the stuff they wanted to throw away uh -huh. and then I would have a garage sale at my house and that's how I made money. Oh, so I learned at a very early age how to... Um, do a, a hustle, you know, I mean, I, I love your show is targeted to people who, who want to start something new and they don't have a lot of money. So they don't, exactly. so mine's a, a perfect example of that. I loved, um, I love painting. And so I started painting Christmas windows uh, in Los Angeles uh, in high school 
Mm-hmm. And I did really well at that. I just drove around. My girlfriend and I drove around the neighborhood uh, in Los Angeles, looked at the store windows, and I had my sketchbook and I copied them. And then I would go down in my hometown and I would trade my painting for clothes or food, you know, things like that. Yeah. And then then I would come back into my street and I would go to people who were having holiday parties and I would decorate their home, the windows, the mirrors with paintings, which you don't normally see in a home and make 25 bucks. 25 bucks 50 years ago was a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, very creative and enterprising. Um, that's great. Uh, all right. So, you know, one thing I forgot to uh, mention in, uh, in the bio or your introduction was uh, you are a creative problem, problem solver. So that's what you call yourself. Uh, so what does that mean? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, it, we are, we're confronted with problems every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, how we approach those problems, our state of mind in how we approach those problems, uh, will determine whether we solve them or not. And so I approach them um, creatively in the sense that I don't, I come to the problem with what I call a beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. I want to learn everything there is about the world that the problem exists in. In fact, um, I prefer to not know anything about the problem if I can going in. I'm just so insanely curious and interested that it just tell me a problem. Okay, that's the problem. Oh, that's interesting. Let me learn about that. And so I'm going to come at it a different way than an analyst or a consultant or a standard kind of thing because of my background in art and food and software and being an entrepreneur, being a dad, being a grandpa. I take all of those tools to solve the problem. So the best thing I could call it is creative, but I think what it really is, and this is harder to explain, is I'm a visual problem solver. Mm -hmm. So when I need to solve a problem, I stand up and I start drawing, uh, typically on the nearest piece of glass I can find. And from there, typically in four hours, I can figure out what the next 18 months for any business needs to look like to get them from where they are to where they want to be. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Um, So uh, continuing with the theme of this entrepreneurship, uh, you know, we have a lot of entrepreneurs uh, who have either launched their companies or they are thinking about launching their company in the audience. Um, However, they are, you know, they belong to different age groups, different, uh, they have different experiences, experience level, different demographics, different backgrounds. uh, now, what will you say to them? Like, is there any piece of advice you can give them, uh, uh, you know, that applies sort of universally to all uh, entrepreneurs? Um, yeah, there, there's like, there's so, that's a, a week-long workshop, right, to, to answer that <laughs> I question. That. Yeah. Um, I, I think that um, not everyone's an entrepreneur. That's the first thing. Not everybody's an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is maybe 1% of the population are are legitimately entrepreneurs, people Uh who um, no matter what they're told, if they they believe so strongly in their idea, they are going to make that idea happen through a sheer force of will, period. Nothing is going to stand in the way. Now, a, a great entrepreneur also knows that you've got to listen to the market and the market may say, you know, that original idea you had 
it's not that good. However, if you did this to it, or if you did that to it, or if we thought about things differently, or, you know, that thing you said 10 minutes ago, that's interesting. Let's go talk to that. Great entrepreneurs know how to listen. Mm -hmm. Listen to customers, listen to design prospects, listen to listen to everybody and read a lot. So I think that um, you have to be willing to to do the work. You have to be willing to stay up late, get up early. Um, that, that's probably the the biggest one is is yeah. really working hard and then and then showing up, taking advantage of opportunities to go meet people and do things you that seem a little gosh, I don't know if I should go do that. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. you know, I don't know if I'm going to meet someone, but I'm, I'm fir I firmly believe that one conversation can change everything. It has yeah. done that for me several times in my life. I can tell you exactly the person and the conversation. And because I'm always open and available to something I call a tap on the shoulder, yeah, where yeah. the universe taps you, and says, hey, hey, uh, pay attention over here. Yeah. I think as entrepreneurs, um, without losing focus, right? Because that's also important. So I've got, you know, I know what that path is. As I said earlier, I, you have an 18-month vision, 36-month vision, and you yeah. have a 20-year plan. What's that vector look like? Yeah. And you may have little side trips along the way, but as long as you're, you know, one step at a time going towards that goal, you'll get there. Yeah, there was probably several, several tips buried in that answer. Those, those were right on. I mean, uh, you know, some of the things that I really res that resonated with me was read because, you know, I see uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of professionals, they want to, they want to improve their uh, situation or rise in their lives. But they, you know, this is one thing that they sort of assume that their education is over. So reading and learning from others is, is, is uh, paramount. And then, uh, to your point about being open and, and you know, being aware of uh, when that opportunity strikes, because you never know if you're too consumed in your own thoughts and, you know, a lot of opportunities just pass by. Um, so those are really good points. There is, um, there are two skills that came to me when I was 60. So I'm 65. I don't feel 65. I feel 23. Yeah, I look like 23. <laughs> <laughs> so there were two things that I, th this is actually in the category of advice. Number one, uh, get a, do a, have a meditation practice, mm. download the headspace app that changed everything for me five years ago. I think I'm almost 2000 days straight meditating every day. Awesome. Um, it, it, it teaches you about being present, being focused and, it is, is an art, you know, that 10, 20 minutes a day that you spend helps you all day long. Yeah, There's, yeah. And, and I'm such a science data guy yeah. that I didn't get into, I, I stayed away from it because I thought it was possibly religious or spiritual and that mm -hmm. had a problem for me, mm -hmm. but it, it's not at all. And, and then when a guy told me, said, after 90 days, the neuroplasticity of your brain will improve mm -hmm. through doing meditation. I was like, no kidding. So number one, go get Headspace. Do that. I'm not a sponsor. I just do that. The second thing is go find an improv comedy workshop in your community. They're everywhere. Uh-huh. Now, what improv teaches you is, again, how to be present, 
how to get out of your own head, how to think quickly, how to respond to situations, and how to accept something as a reality and add to it and build it. That Those two skills, I do improv three nights a week, oh, wow. um, have completely uh, improved my ability to build, nurture, and grow relationships. Awesome. Those are some really unique tips. Uh, thanks for that. Um, I'll definitely, I love comedies, but I have always been a spectator, so I'll uh, definitely check that out. Um, all right. Uh, talking, uh, going back to your entrepreneurial journey, like, so, you know, you shifted from being a chef, um, uh, you know, to a totally different profession, which is com- working with computers animation. Um, so tell us a little bit about that transition. And uh, did you have to unlearn something uh, that you, that you learned as a chef? And um, yeah, I mean, how, how did that uh, happen? So when I was 30, I was making as much money as you can make as a chef. I was in the best cooking position you could ever get. I was a private chef for the Jesuit priests. Mm -hmm. And yet it still wasn't enough money to do the kind of things, you know, own a home in Santa Barbara and those kind of things. And I, this is what my Ted talk was about. So someone, if you put it in the show notes, someone can, can watch that talk because I kind of articulate, you know, what, what happened during that time But what was interesting was that I had never worked in an office before. Mm -hmm. I worked in a kitchen. I'd always been the head chef and I'd always had people do what I told them to do. And I was in control of everything. And when I went into a development environment, an office environment, people don't do what you tell them to do just because Mm -hmm. you tell them to do it. That's not how it works. Yeah. So I had to learn about collaboration and co-creation. And I hadn't really ever done that. I was a kind of a the Lone Ranger, if you will, as a chef. Um, yeah. Of course, I have sous chefs and things like that, but it's, it's very, very different mm-hmm. than when I'm working with Disney and I'm sitting down and understanding what's their workflow like and how does that translate from an analog world to the digital world yeah, yeah. and how do, we, how do we bridge that gap? And then... How do I translate what they want into what my engineers needed to hear to be able to do what they needed to do? So I'd not done that, but I found I loved that. So I got really, really good at it. I think the other thing I had to unlearn was um, as a creator. So I'm a maker. That's what I think. I'm a maker. I make food. I make software. I make pods. I make, that's what I do. I make stuff. Yeah. With Uh, the background in the kitchen, I know that it's kind of chilly outside. I'm going to make a nice warm soup and some hot bread and a nice salad. I'm going to serve that at lunch. And within 15 minutes, people are going to come in with big smiles on their face and they're going to say that was the best lunch they ever had. So the gratification loop, the feedback loop was maybe three hours from the time I had the idea Mm -hmm. to the time I did the thing. Yeah, yeah. With software, it was a year. Yeah. And and when they work on a movie like Dinosaurs or or uh, Lord of the Rings or something like that, it's four or five years. Yeah, yeah. So you had to learn how to have that delayed gratification, um, yeah. and that was a that was a big one for me. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Like I'm, I don't do animation, but I belong to the same industry, so I definitely know what you're uh, what you're talking about 
Um, things are changing slightly these days, you know, as, as they are sort of finding how to release software more often, more quickly. But in the animation world and video movies and things like that, I'm, I'm sure they still have to release it after a long sort of period of development. So, um, yeah, th those are uh, good points for sure. Well, what's, what's interesting about um, whether it's product design, it's game design, or it's uh, animation for film, it's a manufacturing process. Yeah. We really are. It's creative, but it is manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And once you have established a pipeline or an, a, a, a workflow, in fact, if you go to watch any Marvel movie or any animation movie, you will see when you watch the credits, some, it'll say pipeline. And then you'll see people. And those were the people that figured out these are all the tools we need to use. These are the steps. And this is how data is going to move from storyboard to final print and with the hundred steps in between. And once you've locked in a workflow, you don't change it because yeah. that's the thing. And you're going to be on that film for three years. Yeah. So that, so that the, when we look at agile engineering and scrum and releasing every 10 days and constant app updates, that was very foreign to me when I, you know, got out of animation and into the internet world. It's like, okay, now we have to work quicker. But the, the good news is I only have to release one or two things every couple of weeks, right? Yeah. You know, I don't have to do these big major releases. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was fascinating. Uh, like I went to a, a show uh, for my kids uh, where they, um, you know, they were uh, displaying how animated movies are made and, you know, the rendering is done by somebody else, the lighting is done by somebody else, texturing is done. I mean, it's just, yeah, uh, you know, you only tend to see the final product, but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. So, Do you know that there are, um, you're, I know you're in Vancouver and we had a group of engineers in Vancouver. We had offices all over the world. Um, but in the Vancouver office, uh, we created a product called the Composer. And it was the first digital layering tool that could be used for motion pictures. Mm -hmm. And what happens is at, at that time, so we're now 20, 25 years ago, no one had been able to do that where you could interactively put in the layers. and an average shot, which might be six or seven seconds, could have 300, 400, 500 individual layers, yeah. including the dirt, the smoke, the all of this, because they do it that way because the director may come in and say, oh, I need that little element changed, and they don't want to re-render everything. They can just take a layer and color correct or whatever. So there's all these interesting challenges that come up when you're doing this very hardcore manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing to, to see how they do it. Um, all right. Coming back to, uh, to the entrepreneurship uh, side and then, uh, you know, your uh, motto of uh, creative problem solving. Uh, do you think uh, running or launching a business can be treated as, uh, you know, creative problem solving? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the thing that you want to pay attention to is like, like, what do you want to do? What problem are you solving? Typically the best ones in my experience are a problem that you have. And then you want to make that problem go away. Yeah. Um, I had a guy on my show this morning 
who goes to Los Angeles all the time and he has to find a parking spot. It's impossible to find a parking spot because he looks at the the street sign and there's nine different signs, you know, there's street cleaning here and this there. And he's like, can I even park here or not? So he tried to figure out how to solve that problem and found out that there is no digital way to do it. So he hired 90 guys and over a year, they documented the signs on 550,000 blocks in Los Angeles. So you can, you can load his app and you can, it knows where you are and it'll tell you, can you park on that block or do you need to go one over? And then it even tells you when it's time to go back to feed the parking meter with some more money. So there's a guy who had a problem and had, was passionate about it and went to solve it. So I think the, the first thing is to clearly identify what the problem is and what your objective is, what the, what's the outcome you would like. Just very idealistic, like I want whatever that thing is, I want to solve it. And then answer the question, what would the value be to me and the value to mankind, if you want to go that big, or the value to my community or my customers, if I were to be successful at doing that? And then how would I measure that? Is it through uh, my uh, recognition? Would it be through, would be financial? How, How would that work? People do things for a lot of different reasons. Would I have an impact on the planet, for instance? But if you can get your objective, your measure, and your value down, and you can then take that idea and tell a buddy, and tell another buddy, and tell another buddy, until you get a good sense like, man, that's a great idea. And I would suggest, because I'm a storyteller, turn that idea into a story mm-hmm. and then see how that plays out very casually because you're you know, working, you have a day job and you're going to go do this thing. And once you feel like you've got a good sense of what the problem space is and you've then studied it, and this gets into my talk, you go in and just learn everything you can about that problem space, then start working. And all along the way, be identifying potential clients that you can talk to as you're working, because that's the best when you co-create like that. uh, There there isn't, in my opinion, there isn't a better way to solve a problem. For sure. Yeah. And this aligns very well with the with the theme that we are trying to teach in this uh, podcast, which is bootstrapping. Because if you do it the way that you're describing, which is a very good framework to follow, in my opinion, uh, you know, you can, you can actually find your customers as you're thinking about the problem. There's um, I, I, there's a great model in uh, the Startup Weekend. So mm-hmm. startupweekend.org, I think it is. Um, I've interviewed um, many, many, many of those um, people who have either one that won it or wrote a book on how to win it or so I'm very involved in in just talking to them. And one of the things they have to do is they have to, within that 56 hours from Friday night to Sunday, they have to have talked to a hundred people about their idea. Wow. And most of us don't do that. Like we have this idea, I'm going to make this thing and we just start making it and we haven't really fully understood you know, why are we doing this thing and what do we expect to happen and, and be realistic? And then what would it mean if that came true? And now go talk to people to see if 
that's a decent idea or not. It's funny how the, what feels like the most fundamental, most obvious things don't get done. And if you do them, you're, all you're doing is increasing your chance of success or the chance that you'll fail faster, which is also success. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I, so I, I think you've got a, there's a million books on what to do. Yeah, Go yeah. get one. Just get one. Don't try to do it on your own. There's people have, this is a well-trod path. And you can yeah, follow that path. For sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just need to take a little bit of time. There is no hurry. And, and I think people are afraid of losing out. And that's why they sort of try to cut some corners. Um, but anyway, uh, let's move forward. Uh, so let's talk about pod class. What is that? So um, I, I'm a, I've turned into a podcaster. I started five years ago as a result of um, my, my software company, Intro Networks, um, trying to, and building communities and then finding ways to communicate within that community. They weren't reading the newsletter, and I was finding these really interesting stories to tell. And I loved listening to podcasts, but it had not dawned on me that I could do a podcast. So I started. And then that led to doing one for TEDx organizers around the world. And then one of my guests came and said, gee, could you do a show for me? What would that look like? It's a creative problem, right? I've got a problem. I want a podcast. I don't know what it is. Neither do I. Let's figure it out. And I just kept doing that over and over and over. And the university, my, I, had a, I got lucky. My first show, five days out, I got a call from the dean of the School of Management and he said, we'd like to be the exclusive sponsor of your show. We wow. love what you're doing. This is fantastic. I said, great. And in fact, he just signed up today for another, another keep, keep going, he says. He said he felt that there was a, uh, an opportunity to use podcasting in the classroom, but he didn't really know how to do that. There was, there's some examples of that podcasting and education is a thing. It, it mm-hmm. exists. But again, I'm looking at it from this creative problem solving point of view. What's the, what's the objective? What's the measure? What's the value? What would be the value to the university? What would be the value to the teacher? What would be the value to the student? What would be the value to a prospective student if you had such a show? And then I thought, you know, branding's everything. The story of the brand is is something that can help you a lot. Yeah, and yeah. I s- decided to call it a pod class because it is a class. There's learning objectives. There's instructional design. Uh, but we're hearing it rather than reading it or or sitting in a class and consuming it. And so it's just an adjunct to the w- the way that people learn. And we, I believe, that. Part there, there's a lot of things that have contributed to the success of podcasting. It's low barrier of entry to produce them. It's zero barrier to entry to consume them. They are free. Yeah. They come bundled on your phone. There's, yeah. there's literally a dozen podcasts for any interest, any special interest. Do you like bees and honey? You can find 50 podcasts on that. And that just makes you happy because you, you're listening to someone. And what happens is because you are, you the guest, the, the interviewer, the host, are in the head of the listener. 
every week or every yeah. month or however often you do it. And they get to know you. And because I like to tell stories, um, I, I feel like I've got a built a relationship. And, and this is what all the really great shows are based around story. So I said, well, how could I marry those two ideas together around education and teach? And so we're doing pod classes uh, to help in, you know, like series of, of eight shows, little capsules mm -hmm. that are easy to produce. They're not expensive. And you know what? You can kind of teach anything and yeah. get these things out. I, I love it. It's, it's my new favorite thing to do. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm enjoying, like I just started podcasting about four months ago. I'm enjoying it tremendously, you know, learning from uh, all, all the experienced guests and, uh, you know, people like yourself uh, with so much experience. Uh, it's amazing. Um, so you, you brought up uh, storytelling a few times. So, uh, you know, obviously you're using storytelling in your podcasting and, and teaching, but how important is uh, storytelling in business? I think that if you don't have a story to tell about your business, then you shouldn't even be in business. Um, you ought to be able to tell your story as, as a founder. Um, what happens is you tend to talk about what you do. Uh, you, you don't, you know, Simon Sinek in his famous Ted talk talks about the why, right? Yeah. What's, what's the why of what you do. Yeah, yeah. And what I've learned because we've, you know, through my TED experience, I'm 25 years at TEDster and 10 years doing TEDx and coaching speakers and talking to organizers and understanding the power of story. The, the human brain, if I give you a list of data and facts, I've done this many shows and this many people and this many downloads and this, it lights up two areas of your brain. Yeah. If I tell you a story about how I got into podcasting, how it's changed, it lights up seven areas of your brain. Mm, the see. chances are you're going to remember that thing I said. And by extension, I'm now memorable because you remembered me. There's so much going on in life. You've got to find a way to cut through the clutter mm -hmm. and be able to get your message because your message matters. How do we get that message to where people remember it? Tell them a story. Now, we do what we call high-stakes, short-form storytelling. I see. Stakes are very high. I'm, I'm in front of a board of directors. I'm in front of a group of investors. I'm in front of a group of customers at a trade show. I'm at an industry event. Okay, there's four very high stakes. It took a, it took a lot. Yeah. To get me in front of that room and those 150 people or 10 people have the power to change my life. Yeah, yeah. Right? I can yeah. raise that million dollars or I can do whatever that. So the stakes are very high. And I know that if I do not capture their imagination in nine seconds, because they don't know me. I just walk. I'm just another tall white guy with a story to tell mm -hmm. and nine seconds, they may not look at their phone, but they're checking their mail in their head. They're thinking about the next thing they have to do. Yeah, yeah. So yes. I want to be, I want to be captivating and interesting and I want to be a speaker that they're going to talk about. That's my goal. How do I do that? And through helping others figure out how to do that, helping 
myself through my own journey to the red circle doing a TED talk, I learned about like there, there are definitely tricks to how you do that. Anybody can learn how to do it. Everybody should learn how to do it. Some people call it an elevator pitch. Some people call it the Uber pitch. Uh, I think that, um, that, that two, two things that I don't like about that. One is that it presumes you only have one of them. And I think you need at least 10 stories mm-hmm. that are less than three minutes long. The way to practice is just get on Instagram TV and tell a three minute story every day for 10 days. Just do that. Cool. Just turn on the camera, talk to the camera and tell us a story. Where were you? What happened? Who was there? What was the struggle? How did you overcome it? And what was the success? Three minutes, go. And do that 10 days in a row. And you will learn how much you don't know. And hopefully you'll come find me and then I'll help, I'll help you. But that, um, here's an example. Um, uh, there's an organization came to us and said, um, we get it. You've sold us on the idea that storytelling is important. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, well, again, well, what's your objective? What outcome would you like in storytelling? Like, so what? Who cares? And they said, well, our organization has an important function in this community. And we have a board of directors that can't effectively communicate what the mission is of the organization. They'll just get in and start telling the facts and figures that we serve this many people and we do this and we raise this money and it's facts, facts, facts. And I've already explained that doesn't light up anything. Mm -hmm. And so we help them craft the story of the organization. Why does this organization exist? Why does it exist now? And why is it important that this mission gets out? It's kind of the same question we answer in a TED talk. Then extend that out to the board of directors and say, for each board member, what's their touch point to the mission of the organization? Like, why are you on the, why are you giving your precious, valuable time and money to this organization? There must be a story there. What is that story? Let's discover that story. Because now when you're at a cocktail party and says, someone says, oh, well, tell me about that organization. It can say, you know, when I was 12 years old, I met this guy. And that now that leads me into a story. And, you know, I never forgot that guy. And I, I vowed that if I had a chance to go and help another kid, I would do it. And that's what I'm doing. Now, guess what? I learned something personal about you. I've fallen in love with you. I've just, I, I'm now aligned with the mission and now everything you tell me after that, because now you can get into the facts and figures and, and all of that. But if you don't start with a story, you're just, you're kind of wasting your time. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, uh, that's uh, really profound. Um, thanks a lot for sharing. Uh, I know we are running out of time and I, I want to be cognizant of that, but I'm having too much fun learning from you. Um, do you have anything else that I haven't asked or that you may want to share at this point with the audience? Um, I, I think that um, some people think that you have to be young to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I, I thousand percent disagree with that. Yeah. Um, that, just take that off the table. Um, I, I love that my wife and I work on all these projects together. Um, I think that having 
for me, you know, people ask me how things are going and I say, well, which hat do you want me to put on my head? Cause I could talk about podcasting. I could talk about Ted. I could talk about my artificial intelligence software development, which didn't even come up today. I could talk about my community development software. I can talk about working with NG. I could talk about all of those things. So I'm very, I would say that rather than focusing on one thing, which everybody will tell you, focus on one thing, I would suggest, okay, you can focus on a thing, but have a variety of interests because you will be surprised at how the things you learn will translate, we call them lateral lessons, though yeah. they will translate very, very nicely. This is a secret to Leonardo da Vinci's success was, we didn't know he was a chef. He was an, we knew he was an artist. He's an engineer. He was a playwright. He was a set designer. Um, he sang, he built musical instruments. He wrote poetry. I mean, he did a ton of things most of us don't know about. And he was, and what happens when you kind of follow the muse, you learn that the next problem that comes on your desk, the solution may come from a place you didn't expect. Yeah, yeah, true. Very true. I experienced that myself, like I'm learning new skills, like, you know, podcasting is new, uh, marketing is new. So I, I see how, you know, a lot of these skills can sort of translate into other fields. And, um, and I, they are very easy to, to see when, when you have varied interests. Uh, so that's very true. All right, great. Thank you so much uh, for sharing all your wisdom and knowledge with us. I'm sure everyone got a lot of value out of it. Now, before I let you go, can you tell us a little bit about your companies and how you uh, help people tell their stories and how sure. can they reach you? Sure. So um, the easiest way, I'm, I'm very easy to find on the internet. You can Google Mark, M-A-R-K, Sylvester, S-Y-L-V-E-S-T-E-R. And you'll find me in a lot of different places. You'll find me on my podcast, but the best place is MarkSylvester.com. And the one thing we didn't talk about, Manuj, was that I've been, as we know, a chef until I was 30, but I didn't stop cooking. Uh -huh. So I also run a site called ChefMarkSylvester.com, right. and I continue to cook and take photographs. But I work with um, organizations, uh, individuals. Uh, and my wife as well, we've got a full speaker, you know, strategic communications business, and we help people tell their stories. So we do that all the time. It's the, our most favorite thing is to bring someone to Santa Barbara and work with them and figure out what that next 18 months looks like for them and then help them uh, achieve that. Whether it's a lot of times it's, they gave a Ted talk. They really liked that. They liked that process of doing it. And then felt, you know, I think I could help more people if I was doing this full time. How do I do that? And so we help people go from a talk to a book, a podcast, keynote speeches, workshops, how to get private clients, how to, how to make a business out of an idea. Yeah. And that's actually the most fun because you, again, I said I was a maker. So we yeah. take nothing except an idea build a platform and then launch that idea out to the universe. And I can't think of anything more fun than doing that. That's amazing. That's very exciting. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're building a life basically. So uh, that's exactly. That's yeah. Do what you love. So That'd be great. So thank you. Thank you very much. And good luck to you on your show and your, 
your four months, you, you never stop. You know, I've got maybe 600 episodes of all the different shows and I'm always learning. So yeah. um, just yeah, be absolutely. open to all those new things and learn how to ask really great questions. So true, so true. Thank you so much. Thanks, bye-bye. So again, I'm Manoj Agarwal and thanks a lot for joining us on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. And now, if you are an existing or an aspiring technology entrepreneur, then I invite you to check out my new online workshop, Bootstrapping Your Tech Startup Dreams. Go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and sign up for free. I want to make sure more successful and sound decisions are made every day in your tech projects. Let's start finding solutions to your problems. So go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and I look forward to helping you with your tech startups.